Isn't that a good song? I know one song that I want sung at my funeral. I've been joking this year since I turned 40 that I'm half dead, so I'm not that morbid, but if I was to die, that's one song that I'd want sung there, because it is well with my soul, meaning I know where I'm headed. And so this life may come to an end, but I will step from this life into eternity, and it will be well with my soul. I want to take, invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus 25. And as you're doing that, send the kids out. I, I didn't forget. Send your uh, three-year-old through third grade up here, and they will go downstairs and have kids' church, and they're going to have a great time learning about the Lord and um, learning a little bit about what we're going to talk about here in this room this morning. Today's a big day for us. We've been um, working toward this day for many months, several of us have. And so this is the day, this is the great day, you could say. It's the day that the Lord has made. In fact, Psalm 118 verse 24 would tell us that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And this morning we can especially rejoice because today we're launching perhaps one of the greatest endeavors, one of the greatest steps of faith that this church in its historic and and very uh, long history has had. It's a big day for us. We're taking on perhaps the most challenging endeavor that this church's history has ever faced. And we're doing it not for our own advancing. We're doing it for the advancing, advancement of the kingdom. This, earlier this morning, we were praying some of us men in the choir room as we do before every service now. And, and I just told them that today's a big day for us. We're launching out into uh, new days for us to renovate, to do some things here, to help us locally, but it always has a global focus on it. Everything that we do here, we want to do to advance the kingdom among our neighbors and among the nations. So we're doing it not for our own advancement so that Redling can have a great name, but for Christ and His kingdom. You see, the Lord's given us an opportunity. He's given us an opportunity to expand His kingdom to expand our ministry in that kingdom and do so by repositioning ourselves to better engage and serve the people of Powhatan by simply upgrading our facilities. Last fall, in fact last November, you assigned six people to serve alongside myself and you tasked us with the studying of our facility needs and to come up with a renovation plan that would lead us into the future. This past summer, the renovation team brought before you the plan that we believe the Lord would have us to do. And in this master plan, we presented to you, we recognize that our worship and foyer space greatly needs to be updated. We also recognize that we needed to do something for our senior adults, the space behind us in the hall behind us is a great place for our senior adults are those who have handicaps and physical needs. They need a place where they can go and be a part of small groups and not be inhibited by stairs. And so we recognize that need. We also recognize that dedicated and secure space for our children must be of the highest priority of our church. So please, I, I want you, you to direct your attention to the screens behind me. And I want to share with you via video what this master plan looks like. Then I'm going to come back and talk about how it's going to be broken down into two phases. But quickly take a look at this short video about what this new day is all about. 
We believe that this is a new day for the life of Red Lane Baptist Church. We have a wonderful past. We have a wonderful history in this church where God has done great things. People have been saved, called to ministry, missionaries sent out, churches planted. But today's a new day. Every day's a new day. And so what we're doing today is just a, a continuation of what God's continued to do for 173 years in the life of our church. The worship center is going to be completely renovated. So we're going to go from a colonial, traditional style to a modern look. Uh, open up the stage. There's going to be new hardwood on the floor. We're going to take down walls so everything is one level. Rather than having pews, we're going to have chairs. And so that gives us flexibility of how to use this room throughout the week. We can have senior adult luncheons in here. We can have... VBS, where we're not destroying pews. It's just very, very versatile. The same would be said for the stage. The stage is going to be versatile because it's going to be open platform without walls and barriers. It's just a really, really fresh, warm, engaging, modern look. And then technologically, we're going to upgrade everything that we do from the sound to the video, even incorporating some earpieces for some of our folks that have issues hearing. They're going to be able to digitally use an earpiece to, to, to hear and to listen. What we're going to do in the hall behind the worship center is that's going to be all for senior adults. You come into worship, you go to small group, you never have to go up and down a stair unless you so choose. So all those classrooms will be repurposed. And so in the hall behind the worship center, we're going to have new flooring, new paint scheme. We're going to create some common space right across from the ladies' restroom. A coffee area in there is going to be some countertops, some tall tables that people can kind of congregate there as they get their coffee and head it off to small groups. We don't really have any commons area in our facilities, so that's going to create a little bit of space there. To have the, the New Day campaign that gives us the space for our generations, if it's all us children downstairs, we have the freedom to be children. There will be codes and, and locks, locked doors, where not anybody can just come in. Right now, you just can walk in and you're in there. To have a little more control over that and the safety for our students would be awesome. What we're seeking to do is to build an office building that'll allow us to repurpose some of the existing space in the main facility. When you come around the curve, around the backside of our building, that's going to be the first thing you see. It's going to be this beautiful building with some stacked stone and warm feel to it. All in all, it's a little over a million dollars for this project. And so the way we're going to fund this project is that we are going to ask our people to commit for three years to give sacrificially above and beyond the tithe, above and beyond the 10%. And so as we renovate space as we build an office building. It's all about retooling, sharpening what God's already given us so that we can better reach the people God is bringing to our community, bringing to our church. So it's a new day for the life of Red Lane Baptist Church. seen the project. We've talked about it at length. As a team, as a renovation team this past month, we decided it would be best to approach this plan in two phases. Phase one is the renovation of the hall that is behind me and in front of you. It's the 
hall here on our main floor. It's the hall where our church offices are. And so phase one will involve renovating that hall and the space on that hall and turning it into small group space for senior adults. And so that will allow you as a senior to come in, never have to go up and down a stair unless you so choose. And you can come into worship and go there and do everything on the same level. In that, it would require our church offices to be relocated. And so we will construct an administration building that will be back behind our facility here. It will be back there basically where the, those metal trailers, what we call pods, are sitting currently. We're going to relocate them. We're going to build that building right there in that space moving from south nor to the north alongside of our existing uh, parking lot. So this repurposing of the space and the construction of the new office space will enable uh, the entire basement below us to become dedicated and secure space for our children's ministry, which is a huge need as a church, and it's going to be a huge blessing to them, giving them more flexibility and more space on Sundays to do and to be successful in children's ministry. And so this move will meet many of our internal existing church needs. That's phase one. Phase two is the renovation of the space that we're sitting in currently and the foyer that is behind you. This project will be a major overhaul in lighting. There will be major overhaul in just the lighting of the room, major overhaul in the lighting here on the stage, along with sound, video, and the overall aesthetics of this space. So we're going to give it, as I said in the video, a very clean, fresh, new, modern look and feel. And yet it's still going to retain warmth and welcoming in the atmosphere, the, the way it feels when you come in. Phase two will be tackled at some later date in the future. And so phase one is what we're going to be launching into first, and then we will later come back and do phase two. Today, what we're doing this morning is we are launching our capital campaign that will largely fund this project. We're calling it New Day because we believe it is a new day for Red Lane Baptist Church. That's not to say that we have... Uh, bad days in the past and everything is in front of us is good. It's, it has no connotation like that whatsoever. We're just simply saying God is bringing us to a new day. Every day of our life needs to be looked at and viewed as a new day, a new opportunity to serve the Lord and to make much of Him and His kingdom. And so this is a new day for us. As a church, we believe the Great Commission. I'm just going to ask for some participatory uh, actions this morning real quick. If you believe the Great Commission, can you just nod your head? All right, so most of us, some of you are still asleep, I understand, you need some coffee. Most of us, hopefully all of us, we believe the Great Commission. And, and as such, we understand the calling it has on our lives. That is to reach and to make disciples for Christ. And so as a church, we believe that. And we believe God's promise through the prophet Habakkuk, where he spoke to Judah and he promised to them that he is going to do great things through them. On the video, it ended there at Habakkuk 1.5, where he says in the second part of that verse, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I, I truly believe that we are living in that type of day at Ray Lane Baptist Church. Our county's changing, our culture is changing. It's a new opportunity. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it different? Yes. But it's a great opportunity for us to make a difference for the cause of Christ and for the expansion of his kingdom. I mean, think about it. Our county is growing, and our county is going to continue to grow. 
God is bringing more and more people to us right here. And who would have thought this? Those of you who've been here, most if not all of your lives, who would have thought 20 years ago we would be seeing some of the things that we're seeing in this county? Some of you would sit back and say, I don't want to see some of these things. Well, I'm sorry, they're going to happen. It's inevitable. So let's embrace it. Let's move with it because God has given us an opportunity to reach new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Growth is happening. Development is happening in our county. We as a church... We need to embrace it, we need to get ahead of it, and we need to be ready to make an eternal difference because the growth is here. I believe the Lord has great plans for this county. I believe the Lord has great plans for his church. He's been using us for 172, 173 years. I think we're in our 173, 173rd year right now. And so God's been using us for a long time. And we want that to continue. We want to continue to be used by the Lord as we move into the future. He's got great plans for us. And so what we're doing is we're repositioning ourselves to better engage and to better serve the people of Powhatan by simply upgrading our facilities. We believe God's doing a great work here. And so let us trust him and by faith let's follow where he leads. I want you to see this statement on the screen. The New Day campaign, what we're going to unfold this morning, what we're going to move into over the next several weeks, the New Day campaign is a three-year giving journey whereby we're asking our members and regular attenders to give sacrificially above and beyond their tithes and their offerings to the project. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. You'll have an opportunity at the end of October, October 28th, to make a pledge, to make a commitment, saying this is what the Lord has led me and my family to give, to commit to, for the next three years to this project. It's not a binding contract. It's between you and the Lord. Obviously, you're going to turn it in. There's going to be a little bit of... of, of, accountability there from a standpoint. We're not going to call and beat your door to anything like that, but you, we got to know what we're dealing with here. We need to know as we make plans moving into the future, how much money is pledged. If, if we just kind of jump out there and say, all right, we're going to do this, but we don't really know a number, then it's unwise from a church's standpoint. So we're going to ask you to make this pledge. We're going to ask you to make a commitment over these three years, this spiritual journey to help fund this project. Look at the next slide. There's several ways that you can learn more and more about this project. The first is, if you were to go to our website, redlanebaptist.org, there's a tab at the very top right side of the homepage, and it simply says New Day. It's the logo. You click on that, it'll take you to this website. And on this website, that's strictly for our campaign, you can go to all the different tabs. It'll talk about the purpose. It'll talk about the goals. It'll even give you opportunities to learn and to read articles about how to give, creative ways to give, things of that nature. This is a wealth of information in this website, I encourage you to visit it and visit it often. If you're going to small group this morning, there will be brochures in there for you in your small group. And so if you're a member of a small group or regularly attend a small group, you will have one in there and it'll have your little name on the back. You pick it up and take it, read it. I would encourage you to read every bit of it because we spend a lot of time writing this stuff and so we want you to, to read it. No, it's good Good stuff. Great information for you to know so that you can understand what this is all about. God is doing something really, really neat here. This is a big deal. This project is big. 
I mentioned in the video that it's a little over $1 million. It's probably closer to maybe to $1.2, $1.3 million at this point if we were to do everything that we would love to do at this point. It's a big project. It is a lofty project. It is a challenging project. But it isn't every project that the Lord leads us to do something of that nature. It's always more than we think that we can handle. It always stretches us more than we think we can go. And so it's here we learn a great truth. Here we see something we need to recognize. Where God leads, he provides. And we must follow. If God is leading us, and we as a renovation team, and along with our elders and our deacons and our leadership of our church, we believe God is leading us in this endeavor. And so if God is leading there, what we're going to learn over the next four weeks, hopefully something we already know, and that is where God leads us, he provides for us, thus we need to be on board and just say, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. I don't understand how you're going to do it necessarily, but my yes is on the table. Stretch me, challenge me, grow me in this. I'm ready to follow you. So this morning, I want to talk to you about finding God in the project, because that's a lot of questions I'm sure that you have. Is God in this? What is God wanting us to do? What is God wanting me to do? So how do we find God in the project? We're going to look here in Exodus 25, but before we do, I want to share a few things, kind of set up this passage of Scripture, because as we face the opportunity before us, we do have precedence in the Old Testament. We have the Word of God leading us into some stories, some accounts that are very similar to the days in which we're walking and living. You see, for 400 years, the Jews, the Israelites, had been in bondage in Egypt. They cried out to God for deliverance. And God desperately, or, or, or they desperately wanted God to, to free them from their suffering. And, and God listened to them, and God moved Moses to deliver them. One of the first things the Lord told the Israelites after they escaped the enslavement of Egypt was to build him a place of worship, the tabernacle. This was a major capital stewardship project. In fact, if you were to go through the Bible and you were to look at every chapter of Scripture that deals with or teaches on the, the building of the tabernacle or the use of the tabernacle or the significance of the tabernacle, you would see that the Bible dedicates over 50 chapters to the building, the use, and the significance of the tabernacle. It was a worship center where God, in all of His glory, could dwell in the midst of His people. It was designed to be portable because the nation of Israel at that time was a nomadic people. They had followed Moses out of Egypt, but they had not yet settled in the promised land. And so the Lord led them to construct a small campus, a courtyard of complex curtains and courtyards. It was a house, a very special tent where His glory would dwell among them. You see, this campus was to be constructed by the gifts given by the people. God was in the project they were launching themselves into. Look here in Exodus chapter 25. Or direct your attention to the screens. Verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, cassia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. 
Obviously, there are some significant differences between the building of the tabernacle and our own building project. But there are some, some similarities to see. And today, I want to point out three parallels from this construction of the tabernacle that kind of moves over and speaks to our situation and what we're doing today. You see, when God is in the project, there's three things that we see here, three parallels, and it's this. When God is in the project, there's vision. We see here the vision that God gave to Moses. God gives him a vision of what was to be. God told the Israelites, in effect, just what I believe he's speaking to you and I today. He said this, in essence, I want to do something here. I want to do something in your midst. I want to do something in your day. I want to do something in your congregation. And I want to do something that's both expansive, and I want to do something that's expensive. You say, I don't like the expensive side. I like the expansive side, though. We kind of want a broad ministry. We want a, a, a large breadth. of. We want the, 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 our church ministries to really touch our community. But most of the things, if not all the things that God does in Scripture, also come with, with a price tag. It's expansive, and it's expensive. That's what God is saying here. You see, the Bible repeatedly tells us that God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle as he was there on the Mount Sinai for those 40 days. They were detailed plans. They were patterned, as Hebrew 9 tells us, after the permanent tabernacle that's in the highest of heavens. It may have been a portable tent, this plan that God gave Moses. It might have been a portable tent, but this was no ordinary tent. Perhaps the most surprising thing about this tabernacle was the cost of its construction. And it's true that this Old Testament tabernacle was a tent, and sometimes we may not think much of a tent, but this was not an ordinary tent, as I just said. If you want to get into camping, you can go down to Bass Pro, you can go to Cabela's, you can go to any sporting, sporting goods store. You can go to Walmart and get you a tent, a little small dome tent for maybe 100 bucks. Or you can go out and spend some real big dollars, get you a multi-room tent. It's like a house with no walls, just a little bitty t-shirt over it. But you can spend as much money as you want. You can spend all the money in the world on a tent. But I wonder this morning, if we were to reconstruct the tent that God gave Moses to build, if we were to make an exact replica of the tabernacle there in the desert, what would that cost? What would that price tag be? Many scholars have tackled this question. They've calculated the amount of gold. They've looked at the silver. They've calculated the precious stones, the wood, the leathers, the fabrics, all of the things contained in the tabernacle. And, and for example, if we were to go to Exodus 38, 24, we would learn there that the amount of gold used in the tabernacle was more than 29 talents of gold. That would be 2,842 pounds. Anybody got that by chance? We'll take that, all right? We'll, we'll take that. 2,842 pounds of gold went into the tabernacle. Five tons of silver went into the tabernacle. So I did some calculating this, this past week. Uh, I believe on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, gold was valued at $1,200.90 an ounce, all right? So pretty, pretty significant. So that means one pound of gold is worth, or was worth last week, $19,214.40. Since. Therefore, the amount of gold needed to reconstruct a replica of the tabernacle today would be $54,607,324.80. I told you it was an expensive tabernacle. 
Five tons of silver would cost, and I believe silver was like $14 and some change last week in ounce. It would cost us $2,331,200 just for the silver that was used in the tabernacle. That doesn't even come and take into consideration the precious stones and the leather and the wood and all of the other things. All of that would easily push the cost of the tabernacle construction well over $60 million. This was an expensive vision that God gave Moses and the people of Israel. So the question looming above all of these numbers is this. Where could a bunch of newly liberated slaves afford that, afford that kind of vision? Where would, those, where would that sort of resource come from? If we were to apply this to ourselves, how in the world can we launch into this type of building project? Now, we're not doing a $60 million project, $60 million project, but I've served churches that have. And in just a couple years, they'll pay that off. They did a $64 million project, and they'll pay it off in just two years. Now, they started on it in 2003, so don't think they paid it off in one year. It's been 15, it'll be 17 or 18 years before they pay it off. Where would we get that kind of resource? How can we generate those types of funds? Well, that leads us to the second thing we see here. First of all, when God is in the project, there's vision. Secondly, when God is in the project, there's provision. There is His provision. This is the second parallel between the tabernacle and our own project that we're going to discover. God has already provided the resources. He's already provided the resources. I had a guy come into my office this past week, and he's like, Pastor, I think I could help you with this. And he laid before me a statement that we've probably all heard before. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want? Good news is God's going to provide. Bad news, he's going to provide it for, through you. Or basically it says something like this. It's in your pocketbook. It's in your wallet. So you've got to give it. That's the bad news. God always provides the needed resources. Here's the statement. He never gives vision without provision. What he does is he anticipates the need and he meets it in advance. Let me show you how he did it for the Israelites. If we were to go back to Exodus chapter 3, in fact I'm going to read just a couple verses for you there in Exodus chapter 3. God appeared to Moses. You remember Moses has fled Egypt. He's the son that should have been uh, destroyed right soon after being born. He was taken uh, out of the Nile River. He was raised in Pharaoh's home. Later, killed an Egyptian soldier, fled for 40 years. He lives out into the wilderness. God meets him on the backside of a mountain in the flame uh, and calls him, commands him to go back to Egypt to deliver his people. And there God made a promise, one promise, that we oftentimes overlook in this whole story. Exodus three twenty-one and 22 says this. God says, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And that's exactly what happened in Exodus chapter 12. I believe I shared these verses with you a few weeks ago. But in Exodus chapter 12, as the people of Israel and Moses and Aaron are, are getting kicked out of Egypt because of the ten plagues, Pharaoh brings in Moses and Aaron. And in verse 31, he, he says, up. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. 
And the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leaven, and their kneeling bows, kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Here's the principle we need to catch from this. The Lord places within our hands the resources of the world. Now, I don't know if the Lord's going to cause that type of devastation over some sort of people in our culture and it's going to bring it over into our church situation. I don't anticipate that. I don't look for that. I don't want that. But that's what the Lord did for them. And the principle is this. God always provides for his vision. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. God is the resource giver, and all we have is His, and it all comes from Him. The Bible teaches us in Psalm 24.1 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives, and He gives, and He gives to His people. Why does He do all that? Why do we have, think about this just for yourself, why do you have the money you have? Some of you have stocks and bonds and other type of investments. Why does the Lord allow you to have those things? Why does he give you those things in your life? Why does he give you mutual funds, savings accounts, houses and lands and possessions? To put it differently, to put it back in Exodus. Why did God allow the Israelites to plunder the Egyptians? Why did the Egyptians so favorably say, all right, you just take it, just just get, here, here, here's, here's my 401k. I was going to save it for the, for the retirement, but I just want you out of here. Take it and go. Why did they do that? Well, I don't believe, I don't believe it was because the Lord was interested in their lifestyle. You see, the Lord was not as interested in giving them a lavish lifestyle as he was in giving them the resources for building the tabernacle. That's what this is all about. God had a vision that my people are going to come out and they're going to worship me. That was what Moses kept telling Pharaoh. Let us go so that we can worship the Lord. Moses and his people finally are released. They go out and the plan from God from the very beginning was to build a structure for the glory of God to be present among his people. And in order to provide the resources for that, it can't come from slaves because they have nothing. And so he gave them the world's resources to build the tabernacle. Provision followed the vision. God was planning ahead. God was entrusting the Israelites with the material needed for his special tent. He was putting the resources in their pockets and in their purses even in advance. You think about what God could have done. You remember the story of when they get into the the wilderness area. God begins to provide food for them by the Basically, the dew, the manna, basically means what is this? this? This white, flaky food would fall to the ground and accumulate onto the soil. And every morning, they would go out and scrape it up. And that's what they would eat, eat, eat each and every day. God could have sent the gold and the silver and the stones down from heaven like he sent the manna. He could have airlifted the timber and the linen. I mean, think about it. God fed Elijah from a raven, so maybe he could have got a bunch of ravens, and they would just kind of go down and string up a little hoist and, uh, and some sort of lifting mechanism and they just picked up a bunch of timber from, from uh, Syria and brought it down to him and dropped it. They could have done that, right? God could do anything he wants to do, but instead he chose to do it through his people. 
You see, God loves when, they, when His people are His channels for His work. This is why He entrusts us with the resources. Everything we need for this great endeavor, every dollar, every dime has already been provided. It's in our pockets. It's in our bank accounts. It's in our assets. His provision for His vision is always given in advance. And so let's look at this third parallel When God's in the project, there's vision. When God is in the project, there's provision. When God is in the vision, there's a decision. What are we going to do? Each of us has a decision to make. During the next several weeks, we will be asked to make a financial commitment, as I said earlier, toward this renovation and this construction project. And we should make it without coercion. We should make it without human pressure. And the reason for that is, I believe God is speaking to each and every one of us. We just need to open our ears, open our hearts, and say, Lord Jesus, what would you have me to do? With sincerity, with complete honesty, and complete openness, we need to say, Lord, my answer is yes. You just tell me what to do. And when the number comes and it scares you to death, commit to continue to say yes. Continue to say yes. The decision is ours. We must have willing hearts. Look again at Exodus 25, if you will. It says there in verse 2, Speak to the people that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves you, moves him, you shall receive the contribution. It should be a movement from the Spirit of God within our hearts. Exodus 36, we see the result of God's movement in their midst. Let me read for you Exodus 36, verses 3 through 7. Now they're collecting the resources. The Bible says, And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. I believe in church life sometimes we get so scared that we begin to think that God can't do this through us. And yet the testimony of scripture over and over and over is that God will do it, God obviously can do it, and God will even do many times more than what we believe we can do. That's what he's doing here in this text. God is providing the provision for the vision and he's doing it in such a way that it is just miraculous to behold. And more. It's amazing that the Jews were able to not only give, but to give more. Kara and I have had many experiences in this and more type of scenario. We've seen God provide in in ways that we never would have dreamed. We've never would have believed. In fact, I I, I can remember 10 years ago, God calling us from western Kentucky to to pick up our family. We're about to have Haley. I mean, literally, she was born like a month and a half after we moved to Alabama. We picked up our lives. We left our first pastorate, that seminary church, basically. They, uh, the, 
pretty much all their pastors have been guys young in the, in the ministry. And so we left that church. We moved to Northwest Alabama. And I was going to make more money moving to Alabama. The only problem was Kara was not going to work. She was leaving a $50,000 job in, in Indiana and was going to go down and going to be a stay-at-home mom because our daughter was about to be born. So we went from a parsonage to a mortgage. We went from two incomes to one income. I think in that first church, they paid me with chickens and cucumbers and a house. No, they, they, you know, small church, they paid me what, decent for what they had, but, but it wasn't much. So it was an upgrade in salary, but we lost one salary, which means it was super tight. Going into that whole move, we were $500 in the red the first of the month, every month, no matter what. On paper, it made no sense how we would pay our bills. On top of just our bills, we were adding another mouth. We were going to have a, a brand new baby. We were going to be first-time parents. There was all of that expense, all of those unknowns coming into play. And yet God met our needs every single day. I remember on one occasion, I don't know what year it was, but I do remember the, the scenario. I think it was like the first of a year. And uh, we were somewhere in the neighborhood of $900 behind. I mean, it just for that month, we're like, man, I, we need $900 to make up the difference, just to break even. How is this going to happen? I'm like praying for people to die. You know, I'm just, I'm kidding. I don't, wasn't doing that. <laughs> I wasn't doing that. I was thinking it'd be nice, but I'm just kidding. I was kind of chalking off who the, those people I'd like for them to be, but... Um, I don't do that here, though. I love all of y'all. But we were 900 and so dollars behind for the month. And out of the blue, we got a check in the mail from our, I guess, our escrow account that our home insurance had decreased. And so we got over $900 back in that check that we did not expect. It was exactly what we needed plus a little bit, the and more. Fast forward a few years, we sent a call of God upon our lives to uproot our now two kids and one on the way to come to Virginia. So uh, we work through the process, you know how it goes, the search committee, and we talk salary and stuff and all those things, and we try to come in a, you know, at least wanted to make a lateral move financially if possible, and so we move or decide to move to Virginia. We sell a home in Alabama for $120,000 less than what we purchased one from here, and yet we didn't get much of an upgrade in house. It's just the cost of living is so much different here. Lateral move financially, really not even lateral, a little bit under what I was making there as far as benefits and things of that nature. We moved to Virginia. Not as it, it's not $500 in the red each month. It's now $600 in the red each month. And as you look at me this morning, I've not lost a meal, right? I've gained weight since being in Virginia. We've paid all of our bills every single month. On paper, it doesn't most of the time make sense, like how it's going to happen, but it always happens. There's always more. There's always excess. God always provides for us. Our kids are fine. They're in dance. They're doing all the things they want to do. Now, we're not living extravagant. I don't drive a Bentley. My wife doesn't drive a Lamborghini. There's none of those things, but God doesn't promise us any of that. He just says he will take care of us. We've experienced the end more, and we could go on and on about what we've experienced. I know we could stand up in here in this room, and, and you could give testimony of what God has done in your life and how you've been faithful to the call of God upon your life. And when he says, we, he wants you to give this to Lottie Moon or, or this to Annie Armstrong, or I want you to go and, and give 100 bucks to this, this individual who's going for a short-term mission trip. And sometimes you look at your budget and you say, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't really have wiggle room for me to do that. And yet you're faithful in giving 
giving, and God gives it back plus more. We could go around and share those testimonies. That's just how God works. He gives a vision to his people. He gives provision to his people. But it's always on us whether or not we will decide to follow the vision. Every step on our journey with God, we have to over and over again decide whether or not to follow his vision. There's been some difficult days. There's been some frightening days in all of our lives. There have been some moments of doubt and despair in our home, in your home. But thankfully, in in my home, we've walked in his vision. And as a result, we've always experienced, experienced his provision for our lives. It doesn't mean if you give to the New Day campaign that you can go buy the lottery ticket and win it big, right? There's no such thing as prosperity gospel. That, that nonsense that we hear on TV, that nonsense that some churches spout today is nothing but nonsense. It's not the Word of God. But I, do, I can say this is complete sincerity and complete certainty that when we understand God's vision for our lives and for our churches and we get behind that financially, God has a way of just providing everything that's needed. All we got to do is say yes to the vision of God for our lives. And so like the Israelites, we are a group of ex-slaves who've been set free from the tyranny of Satan and sin. And now God wants to do something through us that is both crucial and incredible. He wants to extend his kingdom. He wants to advance his work on this earth. He wants us to to engage others in Palatine in ways that we've never done before. And he's already given us the needed resources. It's already in our pockets. It's in our purses. It's in our portfolios. It's in the people that God's going to continue to bring into the life of this church. We're facing a great opportunity, and each of us must devote ourselves to the Lord, afresh and anew. We all must ask him, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what would you have my family to do? What would you have me to say? What would you have me to give? God, how do you want me to be a part of what you're doing through our church? Let's find God in the project. Let's be ready to give as God himself prompts us to give. And this giving, this engaging begins with prayer. The greatest thing you can do in all of this is to pray. That's not Sunday school speech. Prayer is not part of the work. I think Ian Bounds said this once. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. And so the thing we would ask you to do first and foremost is to pray. Pray not just, Lord, what would you have me to give, but God, pr- I, I pray that you, your, your direction, that we would see clearly where you would lead us and what you would have us to do. And, and Lord, that you would go before us and, and, and just pave the way, that you'd go behind us and protect us, that you'd be with us in the midst of the journey. God, do something in us and through us for your glory's sake. And open my heart that it would be free and un, 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 uninhibited to what you would have me to do and what you would have me to give. We must pray. Last Sunday, if you were here, we shared with you when we came back from small group uh, these prayer cards. And what we're doing over the next four weeks is we're going to have this, basically this prayer devotional. Each week, this coming week, it will be you praying for yourself. Lord, how can I, how do, my, how do I need to be prepared in this endeavor? And so in your bulletin this morning is the devotion for you this week to pray for yourself individually. 
God, how can I be involved in this? What do I need to do? God, what do you want to speak to me about? Open my heart. Those types of things. And so the second week will be you and us all praying for our church. How are we working together to show the unity of the body of Christ? And so next Sunday, there will be another prayer devotion for you in your bulletin for you to use throughout the week. The third week will be about praying for our community. God, how will this building and this body be used to spread the gospel through this community? There will be a prayer devotion in the third Sunday for that. And then lastly, it's going to be about giving. How am I currently practicing wise stewardship and generous giving? Am I giving out of thanksgiving? What can I sacrifice? Will I look to God to strengthen my faith and show himself faithful during this campaign? I want to encourage you to take uh, part in this. To take This is a great opportunity to engage. If you don't have one of these or one of these, what, we, what I, my, my daughter and, my, and myself call stress reliever, because right now we need that in our life, right? We need something to take the stress off. Uh, but this is a great reminder. Sticking on your desk, maybe at work, someplace in your home where you think you see it, you immediately think, and you pray for this campaign. Pray for the New Day campaign and your involvement in it. These two things are in these two yellow, or uh, not yellow, colorblind, orange buckets up here on the stage. I would encourage you to get them and take it home. I mentioned earlier that there's the brochure that's going to be in your, in your small group room. There's other things that you've probably received in the mail or in your small group this past week or so. And so take advantage of all those things. But in all of this, pray. Pray. We're not asking you to make a financial commitment right now. That will come. Right now we're praying. Right now we're, we're just saying, Lord, I'm open. I, I want you to speak. I want you to move. I want you to challenge me. I want you to grow. I've said this uh, many times over the last few months. I believe... What God really wants to do in this is not construct a building or renovate current buildings. I believe what God really wants to do is to change our hearts so that we trust him, perhaps like never before. That we believe him in ways that we never thought were possible. That we're stretched in our faith, that we're growing in our faith. That we begin to look outside of ourselves and, and, and as we go into the stores and we're this kind of doing life here in Powhatan, we don't see just people. We see them as lost or saved. We see them as people who need the gospel. We see our church as not us for and no more, but we see it literally as a lighthouse in a dark community. That's what I believe God really wants to do in all this, not just construct buildings. You see, the tabernacle was not just so he could dwell there. The tabernacle was so the people of God could look and see the glory of God, but not just the people of God. The nations who were around the people of God could look and say, man, the God of Israel, He is God. We can't stand before them in battle. He provides everything for them. I want to worship that kind and that type of God. That's what it was about. And that's what this is about. It's not about us and what we want to do for our own comfort. It's about how can we use the resources God has given us to be greater ministry ministers in his work in the community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this great privilege and great opportunity to join in what you're doing. Lord, this morning I pray that I've been able to in some way convey the great need that we have here today. God, that we could have our eyes opened and be able to see with vision what you are doing as we move into the future. God, I pray that we would not be settled to be a church that becomes a, a relic, 
but God, that we would always strive to be a church that is relevant. So Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, grow us, deepen our faith. Over the next few weeks, as we pray through this, as we talk through this, as we teach through this, open our hearts, open our minds. God, I pray for those who have been opposed to this from day one, and that's always going to be the case. Lord, I pray over the next four weeks, that hard heart that says no, God, that heart would come around and say yes. You would do something in our midst that we're not even expecting. That a holy revival would break out in our congregation. It would shake us to our core. God, we would see unity in this fellowship that would make people who are on the outside look at us and say, you guys are sick. You're nothing but a bunch of holy rolling freaks. That, That pastor must be some sort of cult leader because there's no way that you can love each other like that. Father, I pray you do it. I pray we begin this morning. God, in this room, I would guess that there's some who would hear these words and say, there's no way that's ever going to happen. They don't have any faith. Perhaps they don't have any faith because they don't have any saving faith. God, the greatest need in their life this morning is not to get on board with, 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 with this vision for our church, but it's to get on board with your vision for their eternal destiny and their eternal life. God, I pray as we move into a time of response, if that's the case, you would bring them to the, to the end of themselves and they would, Lord, literally be on their face before you, crying out for forgiveness, begging for mercy, and receiving salvation. God, I pray for believers who do all the things that we've talked about. Strengthen us, challenge us, grow us, deepen our faith, revive our cold, calloused hearts. God, that we would be moved to to confess our apathy, our lack of evangelical engagement, that Lord, we walk and, and work and live among people every day who are lost and we never think about how we have been sent there. We're always looking for someone else. And the reality is the missionary is us. And we confess that apathy. And receive forgiveness. God, do a work in our hearts. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning.